Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to worship you through the study of your word. Lord, we ask that you be with us and guide and lead and with all those that aren't here today. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 24, starting at verse 1. Be not you envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. For their heart studies destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Though wisdom is in an, through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding is it established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. So we'll stop there for the moment. The very first verse is, Be not envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. And this is a very strong admonition from God. Uh, and uh, we're going to read the second part because it ties in. For their hearts studies destruction and their lips talk mischief. And this God says, do not be envious. And envy is discontent or ill will at what others, uh, others' good fortune because we, one wishes it had been his. So that being envious is you desire what they have. And you think they have more because, and you're discontent. And that's what you came in saying, you know, today, you know, we need to learn to be content with little, you know, because that's, you know, or much, depending on what God gives us. But contentment is the key. Whatever God gives us, we need to be content because if we are discontent, we are going to be envious. We're going to be unhappy about what we have as our lot. And it's very easy sometimes to look at those that are evil and, and manipulative of people and they seem to have everything all, you know, everything that we would want and they look like they've got everything and God says, do not be envious of them or be desirous of what they had to be with them or inclined and to wait with longing. So God's saying, don't want what the evil person has. Don't want to be with the person with them. And this is very important for us. And this is what I keep saying over and over. Our desire as Christians should be to spend time with other Christians. Because that is going to be able to help us learn to live and walk according to God's way. And if we're really, if all our mind and heart is set on being with the sinners, then we're going to be in trouble in the long run. Because we will become like them and act like them and, and, and work with them because it says their heart, their innermost being studies destruction and their lips talk of mischief. And if you've ever hung out with, with people that aren't following God, you, you know that this is true. They're always out to how can, you know, how can they hurt somebody or, how, you know, or putting somebody down or, or making it sound like they got something that they, des- you know, they don't deserve. And they, and they build this discontent up all the time within themselves. And that discontentment will eventually work out as abuse to that person or the theft of their stuff or, or their destruction because they are so discontent. We need to live in the Spirit and have the Spirit guide and lead us into edification, building people up, encouragement, this is the way that God wants us to live, one with another, to, to build up a contentment. And this is, you know, where our mind is, where our heart is. Are we looking at the good or are we looking at the bad of everything? And it's more than just being pessimistic or, or, or optimistic. This is looking at things through God's eyes. We have what he wants us to have and he will get it for us. And if we want more, then we need to pray and ask God, God, you know, can I have this? Because he says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. And if it's good for us, God will let us have it. But he doesn't want to just give us things that are going to make us spoiled brats as, as his children. And he wants us to be content. He wants us to learn contentment. Once we learn contentment, he will open up and give us more. And very important in this, in verse 3 says, through wisdom a house is built... And by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with precious and pleasant riches. Okay. I'm taking notes too. Wisdom. We've talked about that. The application of knowledge is wisdom. So there are some people that are extremely smart. They know they know lots of facts, but they have no clue 
how to apply what they know. Sometimes they use it as a battering ram to beat people over the head about how smart they are, but they're not using it to build up. They're not using it to help people. They're not even helping themselves oftentimes because they're not using wisdom. And understanding establishes a house. And a house is not just the physical building, but a, a family, uh, you know, an, an entity here. And it says, a wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. And so a wise man is somebody who has strength, emotional strength that they will have. Not just physical strength. A wise person has this emotional strength that they don't collapse under pressure. Why? Because they understand that God is in control. And when we fully understand that God is in control and nothing happens to us that he doesn't know, nothing happens to us that, that isn't for, for good, the more we understand that, the stronger we are because we look at this and, and say, okay, God, I don't understand it necessarily, but you do. And as I've shared over and over in recent days, our attitude when things come against us is, as the apostles, thank, thank you, God, that I am worthy of suffering as Jesus did. And the more we come to that conclusion, the easier it is for us to be strong and stand up to all the pressures that are out there. And it will never be totally easy, but it will become easier. The more I, the more I trust in God, the more I hide in God, the more he's my defender, the more I realize that he's not going to let anything come against me that, is, that is, is for bad and that he's going to use whatever comes against me, then I can be able to say, okay, God, I'm going to stand strong in this. But the more I don't trust God, the more I don't trust in his word, the more I'm going to be upset about anything bad that happens to me because it'll just be an example of how much I don't trust God. So the more I trust God, the more I am in with him, the more wise I am, the stronger he will make me. And it's critical for us to get to that place where I am str strong in him because I trust him. And this is why I encourage everybody, we need to get into God's word. We need to read the Bible. We need to study the Bible. The more we study it, the more confidence that we have because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more we get into his word, the more faith we will get and the more we can stand strong for God. And it becomes a wonderful experience as we stand strong for him. Verse 6 through 10. For by wise counsel you shall make your war and, the and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He opens not his mouth in the gate. He that devises to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. The thoughts of the foolish is sin. The scorner is an abomination to man. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So we're going to look at these a little bit. You know, it says, for by wise counsel you shall make your war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And this is true right from the very beginning for it, literally what it says is physical wars. The governor, the king, the president, whoever, they'll come together and say, okay, can we take this enemy or not? You're not going to go to war with somebody that you know is going to beat the pulp out of you. <laughs> you'll, you'll send advisors to them and try to sue for peace or, or make some kind of agreement with them before they come. If you think you're strong enough to take them in a battle, then you, go, and then you decide, is the battle worthwhile? And this is also true for us in our spiritual walk. There are some battles it's better just to walk away from and say, God, you're in charge. I'm just stepping down. And there's other places where God says, go for it and defend yourself. And I've always mentioned God is our defense, but sometimes he will say, this is a time for you to defend yourself. And all we've got to do is look back at the Old Testament. Joshua and David were very famous for this. They would go to God and say, God, do I go up against this enemy? Sometimes God said yes, sometimes he said no. And we need to be able to look at this and, and, and look on this spiritual war that we're in. And a wise counsel, we look at God and get wise counsel, but we also take and get a multitude of counselors, advice from different people that we trust, that we know are spiritual. Uh, don't go out and try to get advice from the world because that won't work. They'll give you worldly advice and that is not good advice. And you want to go out and you want to talk to Christians that you know are strong, that are in God's word, that are going to give you good counsel. 
and let them counsel at times. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to accept everything that they tell you to do, but you take their counsel, you weigh it out, and you say, okay, God, here's, here's the counsel I've got, and I'm going to, with your guiding, I'm going to take this approach, which may or may not be part of what they counseled. But that getting of counsel is important because none of us have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers, no matter how smart they are or how smart they think they are, they're not going to have all the answers. But as they get other people's opinions and thoughts and counsel, usually what ends up happening is instead of going A or B, you end up taking C, which is a combination of all the answers. I've been studying this word I keep forgetting. is absolute is where I'm right, you're right, or I'm right. You know, the absolute of, you know, not getting counsel because I'm right. And I'm not going to get counsel from anyone else because I'm right and you're right. And... uh, they get pretty hard-headed. Well, sometimes there are absolutes. You know, if you're dealing with God's absolutes, then you've got absolutes you have to deal with. And, uh, but in most cases where there's any opinion in something, there is no absolute answer to any of that. And that's something we've got to be careful of is, is that we get so stuck in what we think is the right answer that we won't listen to good counsel. Now, if it's firmly established in God's word, if I, and this is an absolute, if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I, I feel that I should be going out with this unsaved person and, you know, and maybe make them my, my spouse. I'm going to say, absolutely no. You are not being led by God, and that would be the worst decision you could make. Why? Because God says, do not be unequally yoked. If somebody comes up to me and says, well, I'm going to go out and have an affair, and I think God's okay with it. No, God is not okay with it. It says so right in the scriptures. You shall not commit adultery, or if you're single, you shall not commit a fornication. Now, very clear, very dogmatic. There are certain places where we can be dogmatic and absolute that God is not leading somebody to do something. And when you're counseling with somebody and they're saying that they want to do something and they feel God's okay with it and it is absolutely in the scriptures a a thou shalt not, then you can be dogmatically absolute (laughs) that they've not heard from God. That may may or may not stop them from doing it, but there are those absolutes. Now, if it's a choice between getting this job or this job, well, there's no absolutes on that one. You know, it's, you know, uh, there's some questionable jobs out there you probably shouldn't as a Christian go get, but, but there's no absolutes on anything like that. And so we want to be careful. And the world's way of trying right now is that there are no absolutes. This is how the Supreme Court has made its decision on homosexual marriage and abortion and a number of the other things that it has made bad decisions on because they have determined that there are no absolutes that whatever they rule on overrides what God says and they've got it and when they do that they're wrong uh, and the world is full of this the world has been teaching in the colleges and high schools and now elementary schools there is no absolute and if you take an absolute stand on something then something's wrong with you they are absolutely sure that there are no absolutes, <laughs> uh, which makes no sense because that's a you know even that sentence and the way they phrase it is a illogical <laughs> statement because if you're absolutely sure that there are no absolutes, you you're, you're already de- in doing some crazy th- thinking. So, and we want to understand this is important. Counsel. It says, seven, wisdom is too high for the fool. He opens not his mouth in the gate. Well, if he opens up not his mouth in the gate, he's being wise in that because he is foolish and not, not proving it. You know, it says that if you want to prove, prove that you're a fool, open your mouth and talk. And that will happen often. But it says wisdom is too high for the fool. And we remember the Proverbs describe and, and Psalms describes a fool as what? Does anybody remember what it, what it says that a fool is described as? The most clear one is the fool has said in his heart there is no God. I, I just studied that if you uh, send a fool to do your messages, it's like cutting off your feet or being lame to send a fool to do your message because they'll, they'll mess it up or, or most likely not, or go or not given. Not given, yeah. Yep. And the but, thing, the messenger gets killed, so they send the fool to do the messages because the messenger was the fool's going to get killed. 
But God's wisdom is too high for one who is a fool, who doesn't believe in God in the first place. So they're never going to get wisdom because they will begin to think that they're just too smart to accept God's way of doing things and God's truth. And believe me, I've come across a lot of people like that that will not accept God's truth. They, they will do everything in their power not to, not to allow it, not to accept it. And it says the wisdom is too high for a fool. He opens not his mouth in the gate. He doesn't speak with, with wisdom in the gate. And the gate was where the, where the leaders gathered together. And so basically it's saying he doesn't have enough leadership to even open his mouth. And that's, that is good. And he says, he that devised to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. And this is literally a scheming person, a person that is wicked, even to the point of being lewd. And so, you know, a person who, who devises evil is somebody that you don't want to be around. And sometimes we've met people that are that way, and maybe we know somebody that's like that. That's always scheming, trying to, trying to take advantage of people, trying to... to Get get away with something to to work on making themselves look better and them look worse, and this is the world's way of doing it. They like to scheme. How can I take advantage of people? How can I make them look bad? And when they look bad, maybe I'll look better in 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 other people's eyes. And it happens in the business world a lot. You can't trust your fellow workers because none of them, so many of them, don't have morals and standards they have the scheming desire to to tear you down so they'll get the promotion and the companies suffer because of this kind of stuff because people eventually if it if it uh, if it's allowed to happen by the management people get to the place where they no longer trust one another and they won't work as a as a team because they're all trying to get you know, get the, get it over somebody else. Getting credit for other people's work. Or getting credit for other people's work or just simply making them just look bad so that they look good. Right. You know, and when you've got people trying to make others look bad, that's not good for your company. You're talking about the gossip. Well, gossip, destruction, uh, you know, you, you make these little statements around the the, the client so that they don't trust that other person so that maybe they'll trust you and usually what ends up happening is they just don't trust the company and and will depart the company completely and it was all because of this little petty petty showmanship stuff that was going on and again we do things God's way and there's rewards we do things the world's way and things fall apart and this is why it's so critical. We need to work at being like Christ, building one another up, edifying, saying, okay, if it's good for you, then I'm just going to let you have the, the glory because I don't need the glory. And this is very much the Christian way. If you're going to get the glory, praise God, you're going to get the glory because it, it, it is good. And if I don't, then that's fine too. And that goes back to the very, do not be envious. <laughs> do not sit there and think, well, I deserve... The glory and because we're we don't God deserves the glory anything that we're doing for for the for the kingdom needs to be that God is glorified even in my daily walk in my daily work God needs to be glorified and good always will win out in the long run you know we may look at it and say I'm getting che I'm getting shafted I'm getting cheated but in the long run righteousness and goodness is rewarded and it may take a little longer than the than the world's way but the world's way doesn't stay forever because they're going to reap what they sowed they, they they cheated people they schemed against people they tore people down and then what's going to happen if and when they reach the top is that they're going to get torn down yeah. they're going to reap what they sowed and it may take us a little longer to get there but in the long run God prepares us he makes us ready for it and I look at how long it took me to become a pastor you know, it took a long time, but God was preparing me for that role. Yeah, the old saying, it always works out for the best. It always does because we reap what we sow. And God says, all things work together for good for those that are called according to the purpose of God. So everything is going to eventually work out for good. Maybe not what we think is our good, but it works out for good. 
And sometimes other people being rewarded is, is going to be the better good in the long run because they get stronger. We, we get to watch God bless them. And I'll tell you right now, I love to see people get blessed. It's fun. I love to see people take over things. And I've always said, if somebody thinks they can do my job better in a church than, and they're gifted enough to do it, then praise God, I'll go do something else. There's no lack of stuff that needs to be done in the kingdom of God. Well, you had to train yourself to have that attitude. It takes time to get to there. It, it, it is something that, you know, when I was a Sunday school director, if somebody thought that they could be a better Sunday school director, more power to them because I could, I could teach a class. I could go start another ministry. There's all kinds of things that could be done and I wasn't worried about a title. And this is where we all need to be as Christians. Okay, I'm doing this. Somebody thinks they can do it better. Praise God. Let them do it and go do something else. Now, if God is totally saying no, no, then, then we get other people in. But even then, it may be let this person fail at what they think they can do and learn, learn, learn some humility and, and, and learn to, to grow in some area. But it's important because everybody needs, number one, to try out their gifts and move forward. And this is an important aspect for us. Uh, going out, try teaching, try singing, try street evangelism, try praying over people that they get healed. You know, do these things and try and see what happens and see if God's gifted you in those areas enough to go forward and continue in them. And it's important for us to get this way. Because otherwise, we just hunker down and say, well, I'm not good for anything, so I'm just not going to try. <laughs> and that is not a good place for anybody to be in. Because God is the one that gives the gifts. God is the one that also reward times when we step out to do things just to try it. And it's important for us to, to be able to do this. The thoughts of the foolish, of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. The thoughts, the, the, the plans, the, the, this, what their devices, their e the, the, the devices and thoughts of, the fool, of foolishness is sin. And again, this is the idea that there is no gods. Doing things with, that aren't God's way is, is a sin. And again, it says, the scorner is an abomination to men. And it's scorner, somebody who just turns their nose up to things. Yeah, you know, nothing is good. Nothing. You know, you're around a scorner. Nothing is good. Everything was bad. You know, they, anything that happens, it was not. It just wasn't good enough. You know, I could have done it better, or somebody else could have done it better. You know, it just isn't. Nothing is right. And scorners are terrible to be around. And that's what it says. They're an abomination, a disgusting thing, because they are. They are so negative. Nothing is good. Nothing is right. Nobody else can do anything for them, except for them. Or you know. And if, it's, if they weren't involved, it's not good. And they will sit there and tear apart every good thing that happens and make people have a hard time with it. And we, we don't want to be around scorners. We don't want to be a scorner. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. When things get difficult, adversity, you're in distress, you're vexed, and you faint, your, your strength is small. And where does our strength come from? It comes from God. The more that we have God in us, the more we have of him in us, the more we can stand. And when we fall, it just shows our lack of faith, basically. And God uses it to show us our lack of faith and our lack of strength and our lack of dependence upon him. Because we all fail often. And why do we fail? Well, the biggest reason is just like we've been studying in, in Psalms. We do not let God be our defense. We do not let him be our fortress. We're out there in the middle of the battle trying to defend ourselves. And we will fail. We will fall because our strength is not enough. As long as we hide in the fortress, our strength is strong because it is God himself. And again, the more we let him defend us, and I keep hammering on this thing because this is the truth that we have to grab hold of. The more we let him be our defense, the better off we are. Because we will always make the wrong decisions. We will always do the wrong thing and, 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 and fall. Because we're flesh. We're, we're, we're flesh and blood. But when we're in the hiding of God and we're going with his defense and letting him lead, we'll be victorious. And I know, I know very well, when I start opening my mouth to defend myself, I always say the, put my foot in my mouth and say the wrong things and make it worse. 
very, very, very rare. I'm going to say always, because I don't think I can think of any time when I've gotten the best of any kind of, of defending of myself. Now, I've debated different things, and I've helped you know, talk about God. But when I try to do myself, that's a different story. And God says, just relax. Let him defend. And it is fun to watch God be your defense and see how people fall underneath it. You know, not that I like seeing people be crushed, but it is, it is great to know that I don't have to defend myself. All I have to do is hide in him, and he's my tower, he's my castle, he's my strength. And that is what's a fantastic place to be in. Verse 11, if you forbear to deliver them that, that are drawn in, unto death and those that are ready to, to be slain, if you say, behold, we knew it not, does not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keeps your soul, doth, does not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? My son, eat the eat you honey because it is good and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste so shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto your soul when you have have found it then there shall be a reward and your expectation shall not be cut off all right this one is kind of an interesting one because it says do not forbear and we've defined forbearance a lot and that is to to hold back to to give up my right to demand judgment and says, do not forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. And this is talking about those that are not following God, that are, that are, that are headed to hell. And God says that we're to draw them back. We're to, we're to help them. And it says, because they really need deliverance. And when we see people headed the wrong way, if we just turn our back and we say, oh, forget it, they do, they're just going to get what they deserve, that is what this verse is talking about. No, we're not to do that. We're to go out and we're to talk to them. We're to give them the gospel. We're to, to try to bring them in. And it's up to God whether they come in, but we need to go out and talk. We need to open our mouth. When we see somebody going to make a bad decision, we're not just to shut our mouth and say, well, they're just bad people. They'll deserve what they get. So... And I've heard people, I've heard Christians say that kind of stuff. But they're only, get, they're only going to do it anyway, and they're going to get what they deserve. No, God says that we need to try. Try to speak wisdom into their, into, their, into their ears. Try to speak the gospel into their ears. It is true that they probably won't listen to us. But if, it's a guarantee they won't listen to us if we don't open our mouth. And they'll head down the wrong path. Even if it's only 1% of the people that we talk to that will cut, turn around, it's worth that 1%. In the office, I've got that sign that says, what is, uh, what is the value of one soul? Okay, One soul, that one person who may turn around and listen and make a decision to follow God. Even if it's only 1% of the people you talk to, it's still... One, one more that answers the kingdom. One more that hears God's gospel. One more that hears the, the right way of doing things and can make a decision. And it says, if you say, behold, we knew it not, does he, not he that ponders the heart consider it? He that keeps the soul, does he not know it? Shall he not render to every man according to his works? And basically, he's, the, the writer here is saying, God knows. You may try to say, I didn't know that they were going to do it. I didn't know that this was where they were headed. But it says, God knows and will reward accordingly. If we didn't open our mouth to try to help them from going over the cliff, basically, God says, I know. I know. Even if I try, even though I can tell everybody else, I didn't know it. I didn't, I didn't know what they were going to do. God knows. It says he ponders the heart and considers it. He is the one that knows the discernment of our heart, and he guards, and he guards the soul. And then he says, he will render to everyone according to their works. And that's the reaping and sowing. If we let people just walk into judgment and walk into death and walk into bad, bad areas without saying a word to them, God says, you'll, 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 get, you'll get what you deserve. So our goal is always to share with people, share the gospel, try to get people to turn away from death. And it says, my son, eat, 
you honey because it is good and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste so shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto your soul when you have found it then shall you be, be and then there shall be a reward and your expectation shall not be cut off and honey and honeycomb is often a reference to God's word we sing Psalms 19 sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb is God's word more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. And God's word is to be desired. It is sweet. To, it is sweet. It helps us. It brings knowledge of wisdom to our soul. And when we have found it, there shall be a reward. And our expectation, our expectation shall not be cut off. And why will our expectation not be cut off? Because it is based in God's word and who he is. It'll be a godly expectation. It won't be the world's expectation because God will not give us the world's expectations because it's not good for us. But when we have a godly expectation, God rewards. And what is that expectation? Who knows what it could be? It could be souls. It could be people that are godly around us. Any expectation that is built upon his word is what we're going to look for. And God wants to give us a reward for that and he wants to give us that expectation verse 15 lay not wait O wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous spoil not his resting place for a just man falls seven times and rises up again but the wicked shall fall into mischief Rejoice not when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Fret not yourself because of an evil man, neither be thou envious at the wicked. For there shall be no reward to the evil. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. All right. So this advice is, don't lay in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. So it's saying, do not go out against the righteous. Do not, you know, do not lay in wait. Do not, do not try to attack the, the righteous person outside his dwelling. And then this verse 16 is very interesting. For a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. And this is kind of interesting because it literally in this says, the righteous man literally falls to the ground but he keeps getting up because he's in the strength of God. And this is wonderful for us when we, when we fail and we make mistakes and we get back up, we repent, we turn back to God. And God says, we keep falling and you get back up keep, you know, because you're righteous. And in here it says, the wicked shall fall into mischief. And this isn't even literally to fall. This is to stumble and totter and be feeble. <laughs> so the wicked are all wagging, you know, stumbling around and... and and, and getting into mischief because they are not following in strength. They do not have the strength to get going. And we either remember back in the days before we were saved and we kept falling down and, and, and falling into mischief and making bad decisions. And, and now when we fall as a righteous person, we go, okay, God, I messed up. Help me back up. And he stands us back up and we get to keep going forward. And when we live in that sinful lifestyle, we fall and, and usually just lay there and wallow around in it and, and continue in that sin and, and don't recognize that it's a sin. And you know, this is where alcoholism and all these other sins come. You, get, you fall down it into it and you just stay there. There's not, I, okay, I took this drink, you know, I, I blew it, I got drunk this night, and no, I'm not going to do it again, I'm going to keep going forward. But that wicked person falls down and just wallows in that sin, whatever that sin is and does not have the strength to be delivered. And God says the righteous fall and get back up. And they says they may fall seven times. And this is not literally seven times, but this is just that idea of it's a completed number. He keeps, they keep falling, but I'm going to keep letting them get back up because the power of God can, get, can deliver. And it says, Rejoice not when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. And this is an important verse for us to understand. 
God does not want us to rejoice when an enemy is taken down. And, be, and we don't want to be glad when they stumble, when they have a problem. This is not a godly attitude. We should be, and I've talked about this over and over, we should be broken, we should be heartbroken when somebody suffers, even if they deserve it. Why? Because God does not want to see them suffer. He's, the suffering he gives them is to bring them to him. And if we're rejoicing in their falling, we're not going to want to talk to them. We're not going to want to give the gospel to them. We're not going to want to help them because we're just happy that they're getting what they deserve. And God says, if you do that, it displeases him and he may just turn away that punishment from them. So the quickest way for us to have somebody have their punishment taken away from them is for us to rejoice in their suffering. And this is what, and this is, I've seen this happen where people say, okay, good, they're getting what they deserve, and then all of a sudden everything turns around. Because God says, you know, hey, if you're going to take pleasure in their punishment, then I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to remove it from them. I'm going to remove their punishment. And this is critical for us to understand because a lot of times that then that punishment comes back upon us because we were, we were, because we were rejoicing in their punishment, God says, okay, fine, you want to be rejoicing over somebody's hurt, you can get a punishment. And they don't get it anymore. So we want to be careful with that and not judge others and not attack others. We give them absolutes, we give them the truth, but we don't want to be attacking. We don't, anytime, we, anytime we're going to tell somebody that they're sinning or anything like that, we better do it in love. It better be in the love of God that we're telling them that they have a hard, a, a bad place to be in. Fret not yourselves because of evil men, neither let you, neither be you in, envious of the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the wicked man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Again, we're back to the beginning. Fret not. Do not be worried. <laughs> Do not be concerned about the evil person. And don't be envious of the wicked because, and this is very important for us to understand, there is no reward for evil. And it says, the candle of the wicked shall be put out. And that literally means their life. Their life will be put out. Eventually. They will reap what they've sown. They will get judged in the end. Whether it's in this life or in eternity, they will get judged. And this is the most important thing for us. We should never be envious. We should never be worried about the evil because they will reap what they sow. And the more we believe that, the easier it gets for us to be able to deal kindly with them and to give them the gospel. And it's the same thing that I say over and over again. We are all sinners, and sinners sin. So therefore, we should not be surprised when sinners do something wrong, whether it's to us or to somebody else, because that is what sinners do. Even as Christians, we are still sinners, so we will oftentimes do things that are wrong. Now, we have the power of God to be able to say, no, I'm not going to, and we should be kind, we should be good, but we are still sinners, and there's going to be a time when even Christians will disappoint us by being bad, and we need to remember that all sinners sin. And the more we come to that conclusion that, and knowledge that sinners sin, the easier it is for us to deal with them because our expectation is that they will do something that is sinful. If we're always expecting somebody to always do something good, then we're going to set ourselves up for disappointment because the sin nature will come out. And this is important when you look at the whoever it is that you think is the best Christian you know, they still will fail you at some point by being a sinner. And oftentimes pastors get into this place where everybody looks at them and says, you're supposed to be good, you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be that. And then when a pastor falls and does something wrong and, and sins, then they look at him and say, oh, no, how could? Well, because he is still a person with the flesh and blood and a sin nature. Now, they've been studying, and hopefully they're a good, good person more than they are a bad person, but they can, will still fall in the sin nature. And it's very important that we really understand all people have that sin nature in them and will disappoint us. 
And if we have that mentality that they will do that, and when they do it, it's nothing to be surprised about because that is who they really are, it makes it easier to deal with. Then you can say, okay, they're just, they're just in their nature. We will pray for them to be more, more like God. And this is the key part. The more we're like God, the, the less we're going to sin and the more we can be dependent on, but we can still be in the flesh and make, a, make the wrong decisions. Verse 21, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. For, they, for their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. He that saith unto the wicked, You are righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. But to them that rebuke him shall be a delight, and a good blessing shall come upon them. All right, so we're looking at this. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them, with them that are given to change. Our fear should be first and foremost to God. Now, there, the fear here of the king is literally that the king's job is to punish the wicked and reward the good. Now, in our day, we're starting to get away from this whole idea of punishing the wicked and rewarding the good. And we're starting to see a lot of partiality in the decisions. If you have enough money to hire the right lawyers, you can get out from underneath just about anything or get a slap on the wrist while the poor get punished for even if they didn't do anything. And this is where God's saying, we don't want to do... And then this whole thing, meddle not with them that are given to change. Do you know anybody who is just changing, changes their mind all the time? You know, not, not even for the good. They're just changing their mind all the time. You know, and they're really hard to deal with. You know, and I worked for a guy one time that this was okay on one day, and it wasn't okay the next day, and it was okay the next day, and it wasn't okay. You know, that was a pain in the neck to, to be able to deal with. It's like, okay, when are you going to stay steady? You know, it, you know, and it was a very hard person to work for. And we don't want to be around that kind of person. And it says their calamity will come upon them suddenly, for, and who knows the, rule, the ruin of them. And this is very important because that changing mind will bring calamity. It will. And these things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment or to pervert judgment. And this is where we are nowadays with many of our courtrooms and our lawyers and our judges and our legislatures. They are... If you're rich enough to buy them off, you can you get your judgment changed to what you want. It used to be supposed to be original heritage was the checks and balances were supposed to control each other. It was supposed to be that, and you were supposed to be able to go to court and have just decisions. But that was when the decisions were based upon God's morality and not the changing morality that we have now. And we have so many laws in this country, and many of the laws are contradictory to each other. And makes it really makes things hard for them to judge if they're not going to be judging from a moral place. And this is, I had a business one time that told me that what they, that something they did was legal. And I told them that it very well may be legal, and you may be telling the truth, but it is unethical. And, you know, and that's a problem that we're having out there. There's things that are legal, but they're not ethical. They're not right. And we, you know, just because it's legal does not mean that it's right. And we see that all the time. And there's all kinds of loopholes in every law to say that I can get away with something and, and do what's wrong and still not be against the law. Or loopholes. You know, loopholes and, and just the lack of, lack of morality that's out there. And it says, and he said, he that says to the wicked, you are righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. But... To them that rebuke him shall be delight, and good blessings shall come upon them. And this is that whole idea. If you release the wicked, the evil person, then, then people begin to abhor you. And this is the, where we are in our justice system right now. People are looking at our justice system and saying there is no justice. And this is a bad place for a country to be at. When people don't trust the legal system to get justice, then chaos breaks starts to rule because nobody wants to even see things going. And you hear it all the time, you know, with police officers, they'll say, you know, these people are getting out of jail before I even finish the paperwork on them. And I've heard many police officers say that. You know, they put them in jail and before they can even get the paperwork at the, done at the end of their shift, the people are already back on the street. This is not justice. This is not good. 
hurting somebody else. And, and then they're hurting somebody else, but they're also just wasting their time. And, and this is why it's so important for God's justice to rule. Verse 25, but to them, uh, 26, every man shall kiss his lips that is given a right answer. Prepare your work without and make it fit for yourself in the field and afterwards build your house. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and deceive not with your lips. Say not, I will do so to him as he has done to me. I will, I will render to that man according to his work. So we're looking at this one. It says, every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. And this is just basically they're going to they're gonna be friendly with you. They're going to enjoy being around somebody. When, when they are giving right answers, they are giving justice. They're, they're prepared to say what's right, even if it's not popular. Then that has reward in it. And it says, prepare your work without and make fit for yourself in the field and afterwards build your house. And this goes to the idea of if you don't get your fields planted and you spend all your time building your house, then you're going to be hungry when the, when the harvest comes because you didn't do it. And this is being prepared, doing what's right, doing the good. And too many people, especially in our days, you know, Say, oh, well, I'm just going to go out and I'll just do whatever I want you know, and make, you know, do my good, the idea of preparing my house. I'm just going to have my fun and then I'll figure out how to feed myself later. And God's saying, no, you prepare your fields first. Live in the tent for a while while you prepare your fields. Then, while the field is growing, <laughs> build your house. And God wants us to have this forethought of what needs to be done, this planning this whole idea that it is time to go do what's right and, and work. And God expects us to work. He doesn't expect people to be fed if they're not working. They, they, he expects that if you don't work, you go hungry. And we saw that all over this place. The lazy person doesn't plant his field and he goes hungry when the harvest time because he didn't plant. Plant in your time so that you'll harvest. All these different verses that we've read so far. The sluggard. The sluggard doesn't do his work and then he goes hungry. Uh, unfortunately, in our world, they're trying to set it up that the sluggard gets rewarded and taken from the people that work. And that is not God's way of doing things. And you know, we read that when God said to the people, he goes, when you harvest your field, do not, do not glean over it and pick up everything that's dropped and do not cut, you know, cut, uh, uh, harvest all the way to the corners. Why? So the, the, the poor could go out and do some work and earn something to live on. Not have it handed to him. Because God could have said, okay, farmers, you just hand, everybody pour a, you know, a container of grain at the, end of the, at the end of each day. A bushel. And they would not have been, you know, you would have so ended up with so place. many poor people, you know, because it would be, all I got to do is go to this field owner, he's got to give me something. Yeah, they used to pay so much a bushel, you know, for the workers whatever falls out of the bushel on the ground for the poor. Yep. And so be prepared. And it says, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause and deceive not with your lips. And this is basically saying don't be a false witness. Don't, be, don't perjure yourself in, in the courts. And this is something that was very important. Even it has been a problem since the beginning of days that people will perjure themselves to make somebody look bad and usually get something for themselves out of the deal. Say not to him, I will do so to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. And this is where he's saying, do not go against somebody just because they deserve it. And this is important. God is very strong on this. Just because they deserve it doesn't mean we go after them. We need to let God take care of them because it is important. This doesn't mean we don't cooperate with the police and file reports and everything, but it does say that I'm not, I'm not going to go take vengeance myself because that person deserves it. And God is very strong on this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And the Lord does repay. And we just let him be the one that does it. And again, I'm not saying that we don't go to the police and file our reports, and then, but then once we file that report, we will let the police take care of of the issue. We don't go trying to deal with it ourselves. Yeah, you don't want to sniper somebody and you might miss and shoot an innocent <laughs> person. Well, even more than that, it just, it's, it's, vengeance does not pay off in the long run. Right. You go attack and you murder that person and you so, go to jail for murder. Yeah. 
All right, verse 30, I went by the field of the slothful and the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Let a, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall poverty come as one that travails, and your want as an armed man. And this is just a picture of what he's saying. The slothful man has his field, and he didn't plant it. He didn't plow it. He didn't plant it, and there's weeds everywhere. Okay? And we know that that would be true. There would be weeds everywhere if he hasn't plowed it and gotten it ready. And he goes, even worse, the wall around the field, <laughs> because he's so lazy he won't put the rocks back in place, is falling down. So even if he was to plant the field, there's gaps in the walls for the fox and the rabbits and everything to come into his field and eat everything. And he goes, I considered it well and received instruction. And yet a little sleep, a little slumbering, a little folding of the hands to, to sleep, and your poverty shall come upon you. And this is a true statement. Somebody who does, you know, oh, I just need to rest a little while. I just got to get a little rest. You know, and God's saying, no, get the work done first. <laughs> And then have a reason to rest <laughs> and get your rest. But we've all seen that person is just always so tired to ever get something done. Oh, I'm just tired. I've got to go to sleep. I've got to rest. I can't, I can't get it done. And it says poverty comes upon that person. And because they're not earning a living. They're not doing what it takes to get things. And it says their want as an armed man. And that armed man, their want will lead them to do things that they shouldn't do. It will lead to theft. It will lead to trying desperately to guilt somebody into giving them stuff. And we've all probably come across that person that tries to have that guilt. Oh, I need this because. And so it is important for us to get to that point. You know, and God will reward us. If we're doing our job, we're working, he will reward and give us what we need. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your opportunity to just come together. Lord, we pray for the movie tonight, that you'll bring many to the, to, to the movie and that we'll have a good time and fellowship tonight. And Lord, we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.